Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Teeming with bacteria. Well, there's a title sure to send the casual gardener to another podcast, but please bear with me. What if I told you that the future of plant fertilizer was not fertilizer? It will be bacteria. That's according to Jeff Lowenfels. He's the author of the book, Teeming with Bacteria. Today, America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, geeks out on garden science with Jeff, who for the last 20 years or so has written other garden books about plant nutrition, microbes, and fungus. And as you might imagine, Debbie Flower had a wonderful time talking with Jeff. Uh, me, on the other hand, I was busy thinking about buttered popcorn. Uh, You're going to have to listen to the episode to find out why. And I tell you what, if you listen to the entire episode, you're going to get Garden Psychic bonus points. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Let's go. You're probably familiar with Farmer Fred's 11 garden rules, and two of them are everything you know is wrong, and if it works for you, fine, but keep an open mind. And what you're going to hear in this interview is going to blow your mind. It's going to change the way you garden for the good. Mm-hmm. You're going to save money. Debbie Flower is here as well. Debbie Flower, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor. And we are talking with author Jeff Lowenfels. Jeff has written many, many books. I remember interviewing him on the old radio show back in, uh, I think it was 2006, about one of your first books called Teeming with Microbes. More have come since then. Uh, in Teeming with Microbes, he revealed the fascinating facts around the soil food web, all the tiny organisms that live in the soil and aid a plant's growth. Then there was teeming with nutrients, exploring how those organisms aid in the uptake of nutrients. Teeming with fungi, where Jeff Lowenfels details the symbiotic relationship between plants and fungi, the most important organism living in the soil. And his latest book is Teeming with Bacteria. And Jeff lives in Alaska. And you're probably thinking... Oh, so he doesn't garden. Oh, no, oh, no, no. He even writes a garden column. He's had a garden column in the Anchorage newspaper for well over 40 years. Jeff Lowenfels, it's a pleasure talking to you again after a 15-year respite or so. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, introduction you did there. I'm, 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 I'm wondering who this guy is. Oh, but, but wait, there's more. I mean, you, you have a fabulous history, but one of my favorite parts about your life is the fact that you are a recovering lawyer. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's... And- in fact, when I only had two books, now I have, you know, I, I had a trilogy, so I, I changed the name into Lord of the Roots, but which I kept. <laughs> but I, when I only had two books, I used to bill myself as, because they were both on soil, America's Dirtiest Lawyer. 
Mm. That's appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was you know, and so and so that was my moniker for a little while. But yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a lawyer. Uh, you know, when you can't do anything else, maybe that's what you, you end up becoming. But the fact that you had a garden column for over 40 years, longest-running garden column in the United States, correct? Actually, it's 47 years now. I've been told it's the longest in the world. Wow. Uh, from a gardening column perspective, and and maybe in terms of consecutive weeks, uh, you know, from any kind of column. But anyway, it's it's been it's a long time. And the reason why I do it is because when you're not there, my particular newspaper puts your picture in the paper and it says, you know, XYZ columnist is not is, is on vacation and will return in two weeks. I mean, you know, and of course, if you don't write the column, you think that's, that's interesting. If you write the column and you're thinking about it and you're a lawyer, you begin to think, hmm. That just sort of advertises he's not home. Good <laughs> <laughs> <house>. point. <laughs> yeah, so I always have a, I always have a column, and it's just it's become a religion. You know, it's like Ty Cobb, the baseball player. I I, I don't want to miss a week, and and I don't want anybody robbing my house. So I always have a column. <laughs> of course, the goal is not to repeat yourself, which which I don't. That but, would be uh, tough over forty seven years every week. There are only so many ways you can tell people to grow tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people think that, well, it's Alaska. How can you garden in Alaska? But it's probably not very different than living in a city in the mountains, like maybe Colorado Springs or here in California in the Sierra, that Truckee, California at, at altitude, right. and you have a growing season of a couple of months. You can grow anything that the people in the flatland can grow. It's just got to be a little quicker. That's all. Well, yeah. And actually, it's not as quick as, as you think because of our daylight situation. But yeah, we uh, one of our favorite phrases as gardeners. Gardeners uh, in Alaska is how can you stand the weather out there? You know, outside. That's what we call where you live. We call outside. Uh -huh. Outside of Alaska is outside with a capital O. And so, how can you stand the weather outside? Uh, because we really have uh, a season that starts oh definitely in the ground by Memorial Day weekend, and then of course we can continue sometimes right on through October 15. That's a long season. Yeah, when right. I look at this at this gardening calendar, uh, when to plant vegetables in Anchorage, Alaska, by uh, garden.org, the dates I see on this gardening calendar look very much like the ones I adhered to when I lived in New York and New Jersey. Right. Typically, exactly. nothing before Mother's Memorial Day. Day. Yeah, Mother's Day, right? And then through the summer, and then frost comes and it's over. I, yeah. I, I'm amazed. That's right. I mean, and, and so what, but I have to say that this is a big change from when Fred and I first talked. It's uh -huh. certainly an even bigger change from when I got to, to Anchorage in 1975, 73, 75. We have added probably 20, maybe even 30 days onto our growing season. So those, those who are listening and don't think that global warming, of course, I don't have to convince anybody in, in, in the Sacramento area, uh, right. global warming doesn't exist. You're crazy. It does exist. And I'll give a, a statistic that people always go nuts about. They used to keep records in Talkeetna, which is a little mm -hmm. further north than Anchorage. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful name, Talkeetna. It's the town that has a cat as an honorary <laughs> mayor uh, and has for 20 years. But in any case, they kept records there, and they kept those records. I think they started sometime around 1875 or thereabouts. And lo and behold, uh, we've added well over 100 days to the growing season. That's oh, amazing. 100 days. Wow. So 
you know, it just smacks you in the face. And, of course, well, we have a, another saying that gardeners in, in Alaska like to use that you might not appreciate, uh, and that's global warming. It's our turn now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, one of my friends uh, grew a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, an okra. I That's read that. the first okra I know of grown in Anchorage and probably all of Alaska. It's very hard to grow okra unless you have a nice warm season, et cetera, et cetera. And sure enough, grew okra. I couldn't believe it. It was just a stunner. It's always an interesting experience watching our climate change. And it's it's amazing, just completely different than it was when I first got there. But, so, but yes, we gar- and we all garden. And the reason why we garden is because... Uh, you go nuts during nine months of winter. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much the cold as it is you can't garden. It's dark. It's, you know, at least the ground's frozen. Uh, so it's, it's just, and I, I, I can't convince my readers, I try. Anybody who gardens and has a long season like, like we do in winter should have lights, period. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, <laughs> you spend all that time for two and a half months in the, in the vegetable garden, you can be growing vegetables all winter long. Mm-hmm. Goodness gracious. So. Yeah, I, I anyway. would think stores would have plenty of uh, grow light fixtures and just like oh. little inside little greenhouses. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, cannabis has been legal in Alaska since 1975. Wow. In, in the privacy of your home. And so the, the grow light business is, is, you know, it's well developed in Alaska. And, and grow tents, there's two or three good grow stores. And it's something everybody needs to do everywhere. But in a place like Alaska or Fairbanks, it just makes tremendous amounts of sense because it is such a long season. Nonetheless, the plants grow exactly the same way. So it's the same kind of excitement, the same kind of satisfaction as you normally get when you go out and plant out in the garden. Mm -hmm. And and I would say there's one other difference between the Alaskan gardener and maybe the gardeners where, where you are. And that's that many people in Alaska have plants that they brought up from the lower 48 states <laughs> mm-hmm. that are their family. This is my grandmother's Christmas cactus, or this is my, you know, my, I took this clipping from my grandfather's blah, blah, and, and they come up the highway with it in the back of the Volkswagen bus, and uh, you don't want to, you don't want that to die. Right. And so that gets people going in the wintertime. You got to keep, you got to keep those special heirloom plants alive. Yes. Yeah, so I have several of those uh, in, in yeah. my house that I take from place to place. And around here, the local utility was, at least when I was teaching, was wanting us to teach how to grow in basically a, you know, a metal box, an outdoor, a truck body or something like that and have the lights on at night so that it, they could balance out power usage. Everybody's <laughs> using the power during the day, then everybody goes to bed, the power uh, need goes down, and the utility wanted us to uh, teach how to grow at night inside these enclosed environments so that that they could even out their power needs. Well, that's wacky. <laughs> Isn't it? Yes. yes. Wow. Yes. But are greenhouses, outdoor greenhouses, cost prohibitive in Alaska? No. No, I mean, if you're a serious gardener, everybody has an outdoor greenhouse. You know, whether it's a little plastic hoop hoop situation or whether it's a permanent deal that's, you know, we don't necessarily use glass. There are a couple of those, but but we, we've got the outdoor greenhouse for the tomatoes because if the temperature drops below 55 degrees at night, you don't get tomatoes. Right. And tomatoes are the holy – well, they were the holy grail of gardening in Alaska. 
Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, people just, everybody seems to have a little outdoor greenhouse, some some bigger than others. And we grow cucumbers and tomatoes and, uh, you know, peppers. So you have a lot of white fly control information then? We have a lot of white fly controlled information. We try not to get white flies. Uh And and from my perspective, when you have an outdoor greenhouse, the white flies come from the nursery where where you buy your greenhouse seedlings and grow them yourself. Ah, Uh, Okay. You know, I said, nothing worse. You're right. It's a difficult one to... And particularly now, since I think we we have fewer insects that might take them out. Uh, This year, I noticed we don't have any mosquitoes in Anchorage anymore. Uh, Seriously? uh, It's just dumbfounding to me. We have far fewer birds, uh, but we don't have any mosquitoes. Are you drier than you've been? We we had the driest spring uh, half of summer, and then we had then literally the wettest other half of the summer. So we've had both extreme. Uh, it's very interesting. We are, again, I, I think the bellwether, so you should be keeping an eye mm-hmm. on all this stuff. We know we're losing insect populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, it was it's just dumbfounding, the bird population differences. Mm-hmm. So some we all ought to be worried about. And today I hear that the United Nations indicates that, you know, we, we've got to have a 47% reduction in in uh, some incredible number of emissions, of we're at two percent. You know. Oh boy! So, yeah. So, would any of this have a bearing on your congressional run that you uh, attempted uh, earlier this year for that open yeah. congressional seat? Well, you know, I really let myself open for that one, and and I have to say, it, it was a, it was a you know one of these crazy experiences. For those who don't know, we had a beloved, longtime congressional uh, delegate. We only have one. Uh, and he died, and so there was a special election. And m- many of us, probably because of our stupor from uh, c- COVID isolation, decide, okay, you know, I could do this job, and I could do do a good job at this. I'm going to put my name in there and run for this office. And then we discovered that there were forty, not forty, there were fifty other people <laughs> wow. who got the same idea, including Sarah Palin, a, a guy who had been running against a representative for six months prior to that, who had a massive fortune, and a guy who had run for senator a couple of years ago had about you know eighteen million dollars left over from that. Anyway, it was one of these situations where because of the press rules. It's not like gardening. Uh, you, you know, if a carrot doesn't come up, you go look at another carrot. You've got to be fair. And so there were no debates. Mm. How do you debate 51 people? Uh, there really weren't any one-to-one interviews because how do you do that unless it was public radio and they had to do all 51 people. Wow, uh, Jeff, you, you work for a newspaper. <laughs> I work for a newspaper, but and thank God the newspaper was gracious enough I think to sit back and say he's going to lose. Let's not <laughs> let's not get rid of his streak. Frankly, I ran sort of. I was the garden party candidate. Okay, I, well, all right, good. Not not so much that. I mean, to, to be honest, I mean, I, I've got some name recognition as a result of the column up in Alaska, and and it's one of those situations where I was an attorney. Uh, I represented native corporations. I did mining law, environmental law, pipeline law, public utility. I did all the things, you know, and more important, I represented 
clients, which is what a congressional person does, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I dealt with the acts that ended up resulting in the formation of the legal system that Alaska reacts to the federal government from, called the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, which was passed in the seventies and eighties when I was there and integral. And, and in any case, I, you know, I had the qualifications, so it was it was going to be fun, and then it turned out not to be so fun. I have to say that I I had one gardening moment. There was only one event where they allowed 14 of us to appear in front of a group at breakfast. Mm -hmm. And we each got a minute to say our piece. A minute. And then... A minute, and then and then they asked us five or six questions. Uh, we each got a minute to answer a couple, three or four questions, and then they had the panel thing. You know, we hold the panel up, and you want to club a couple of the people there. In any case, I'm sitting next to Sarah Palin, who's a friend of mine. I don't agree with her politics at all, but I but I know Sarah well. I had just written my column, and in my column, I always have been pointing out: don't rake your leaves. It's a waste of time. It's bad for your yard. It's a terrible thing to do. You know, those leaves will decay. They disappear. They don't smother once. Blah, blah. You know, all the whole bit. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Then they they ask, uh, and we should talk about that a little bit because I think it's a it's an interesting topic of a conversation these days that has to do with the soil food web. But in any case, Sarah is sitting next to me, and she begins by you know, uh, and I'm going to go out <laughs> to my dad's house in Wasilla, and I'm going to help him rake leaves. <laughs> I just I just couldn't help it because because of the wise ass that I am, or wise guy that I am. Sorry. I just, I just blurted out, you're not supposed to rake your leaves, you know. And, of course, everybody knows who I am. I mean, I'm the gardening. You know, I'm Jeff the gardener. I'm not Mr. Lowenfels, the congressional delegate. And, of course, I got a gigantic laugh, embarrassed the hell out of poor Sarah. Then it was the only little funny thing that happened the entire <laughs> campaign for any of them. It. It the, so that was it. That was the – Well, yeah, but don't – don't sell yourself short. You there were like forty eight fifty candidates, and you finished eighth. And no, I think I was seventh actually. But well, yeah, one I, guy I, dropped I, out. Yeah, one guy dropped out, but yeah. it's still I've, with fifty nine hundred more than fifty nine, almost six thousand votes. You made a good representation for yourself, even though Santa Claus did beat you. Yes, he did, and and you know I like to I like to moan and groan about the man. that son of a gun. You know, I mean, what a you know his name running off his name, and people thought it was funny. You know, and then I got to sit back and say, wait a minute, you were running because you were a gardener. You're the gardener, <laughs> you know. So you were doing the same thing he was doing. But but I I, I have to say that uh, that the woman who won. Uh, and she, and she called after that vote came out, you know, she called because it's a ranked choice and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and she called me and the first thing out of her mouth was a really clever, cute gardening quip question, you know, it was just a terrific. This woman, it, you watch her. Her name is Mary Peltola and she walks on water. Hmm. I have never met a politician, and I dare say a person, who's more charismatic than this woman and more sensible. Uh, It's uh, unbelievable. And better yet, for a state like Alaska, to have a native who becomes the leader, not a leader, is really important. So anyway, it was a terrific experience. I'll never do it again. I thought writing a garden column was hard. I thought writing books about gardening was hard. No. Uh, sitting around 
wondering what you're supposed to do when you're, you know, half the people have COVID, nobody's answering doors, and there are no debates or public forums, uh, and you're running for Congress. Okay, I'm done. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in Smart Pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of Smart Pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the Smart Pot. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. All right, (laughs) let's move on to your, let's sell some books here. Teeming with Bacteria is your new book, the follow-up to Teeming with Microbes, Teeming with Fungi, Teeming with Nutrients, Bacteria, the missing link in all of this. And according to your book... It, it, this is going to be the next hot thing. Are we going yeah. to be inoculating every seed we plant from now on? Not right away, but at some point in time, we're going to certainly be thinking about it. Let, let, let me put this in, in uh, the whole thing in context so that people people know why I wrote this particular book. When we ter- talked about teaming with microbes in 2006, uh, yeah, you know, it was an eye opener. It was really. It was. Uh, yeah. You know, and it was Dr. Elaine's science and ability to be able to go out, Dr. Elaine Ingham, go out and talk about this stuff and, and deal with the ridicule that people threw at her when she said, here's how the system operates. There is photosynthetic energy. That photosynthetic, this is a gross summary. The photosynthetic energy, part of it, maybe 30, 40% of it's used to produce exudates. They drip out of the root system. She called them cookies and cakes. They're carbon-filled molecules. They attract bacteria and fungi that are in the soil to the rhizosphere, that little area right around the root system. And, and they're happy. They need that carbon because they don't photosynthesize. Right. Along come nematodes and protozoa, and they go, geez, we're hungry too. And so they eat the bacteria and the fungi. And, and they, they do so because they also need carbon. They're not able to photosynthesize. You and I eat toast because we need carbon. 
they don't need it all, and so they poop out the excess. And the excess mm-hmm. that gets pooped out basically is in plant-usable form. It's got it's got the right, we learn from teaming with nutrients, the second book, the microbes, bacteria, and fungi put the charge onto the, the nutrients so that they can get into the plant. That's basically uh-huh. And so you have, you have this production uh, uh, in the soil that then migrates to the plant and then teeming with nutrients talks about how they get absorbed and then what happens to them once they're in there. Now, along come uh, a lot of studies on mycorrhizal fungi, which was a paragraph in teeming with teeming with uh, uh, microbes. It was revised. I put a whole chapter in. And finally, uh, you know, it came, it came to be that there was enough for an entire book on fungi. And so teeming with fungi added to the way plants get their nutrients. And these mycorrhizal fungi that are in that area are attracted by, by the plant. It's not the fungi mm-hmm. going into the... And they go in between plant cells mm-hmm. and they trade uh, water nutrients, particularly the metals, uh, and, and, and they, they get the exudates. They have a nice symbiotic relationship. They never invade the cell, but they're there. So everything is happy and copacetic. And then a friend of mine in about 2010 sends me a one word text, rhizophagy. I had no idea what he was talking about. I looked it up. There was a real, you know, I mean, I know rhizo, root, phagy, eat. Okay, what the hell was he talking about? I could not, I mean, it didn't make any sense. And he wasn't the kind of guy that I call up on the telephones, you know, and we have long conversations about these kinds of things. They just sent it out of the blue. Okay, lo and behold, uh, there was a discovery in 2010 by an Australian team led by a woman with a hyphenated name that I always butcher. Uh, uh, Dr. Chen Yarat Fuang Fu Lon Hain. God, I wish I could. I wish I could just record that and push a button. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, there was also another woman who I don't think I gave enough credit to. I think her name was Miller. Uh, but it, but in any case, th- this team was funded and the funding ran out. But what they discovered uh, using a con- conical microscopy, a special kind of microscopy, they discovered that bacteria were all inside. Uh, meristem root cells mm-hmm. and and they they theorized that what was happening was that you were getting the the meristem very thin walled cells very young there i mean that's where they, they they start as meristem that opened up and let these bacteria in you know sort of ate them uh, and then close up around them again. That was sort of what they, they, they came up with. They really weren't sure exactly what was going on. That was their theory. The funding must have run out. And then it was picked up by a guy in Rutgers, at Rutgers University in New Jersey, uh, named Dr. James White. Uh, and Dr. James White has done some unbelievable work. And so now we have a, those bacteria that Dr. Elaine's taught us were attracted to the rhizosphere. Some of them are not eaten. And that's where the rhizophagy story begins. You know what? I read the book. I read the entire book. I loved it. I learned things. It's Thank you. Open new worlds to me. And one of the things I really, really loved was pretend you're a bacterium. <laughs> On page 109, it starts. Yeah. And, it, and it's like the Disney ride of the bacterium from the soil into the plant 
what yeah. what it does yeah. in the plant, and then it gets spit right back out. That was just that was a hoot. Well, that's funny that you know Dr. White, uh, who I, I you know I, I wrote teaming with microbes basically for Dr. Elaine Ingham. Uh, you know she's the guru of the soil food web, and this book doesn't take anything away from her by any means. My goodness gracious! But I uh, you know I was talking with Dr. White, and he and he loves that particular passage, by the way. Oh. Uh, but he. I said, you see, how come everybody doesn't know about this? And he and he went, I can't get traction. I can't get anybody. Nobody. And so I said, I'll write a book. And that's that's where the book came from. Wow. Rutgers, uh, by and, the way, is my alum. I'm an, a well, Rutgers alumni. Yeah. If I could go back to school. Yeah, right. Oh, I'd do it, too. <laughs> so oh, much new man. stuff. I'm thinking maybe maybe they would take a 73-year-old who would pay them. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, let's let's talk about this rhizophagy. Uh first of all the word itself. Please. I I'm a I'm an ex New Yorker. I may live in Anchorage, Alaska, uh but I pronounce it rhizophagy. I'm blunt. Google right. likes to say I can't even say how rhizophagy or something. Rhizophagy. They yes. emphasize the and O. I figured out why the other day, and you can relax and go to Rizophagy like I say it. Okay. She's a, she was Australian, for God's sake. Oh, oh yes. The Australian pronunciation. Okay. I'll go with that. Doesn't that make you know, sense? all this stuff in plant biology and plant names, when I would teach plant ID, and, and students would stress over saying that the, the names of the plants, the Latin names, I'd say, just say it with confidence and a smile. And look right. the other person directly in the eye. Yeah. And, and, and then just say, that's the way they say it in the Christian Science Monitor. Or <laughs> right. right. now, what is your uh, consumer definition for rhizophagy, rhizophagy? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's what happens. So so, uh, so let's pretend you're a bacteria. You know, you, what happens is the bacteria form a slime. Everybody knows about bacterial slime. The example, of course, is that's that's what's on your teeth every morning, and everybody is licking their teeth right now. To <laughs> uh, but but that bacterial slime you know, contains lots of different kinds of bacteria in the soil, and it forms right up there on the meristem area, mm -hmm. the very tip, right right after those slough off cells, etc. They begin to smell popcorn, buttered popcorn. And like anybody else in the world, they go, hmm, I wonder if it's free. In fact, it smells like there's a whole popcorn factory in there looking for bacteria. And so they move through that, that's butyric acid, which is, which is released by the plant and they move through the, the cell wall into what's known as the periplasmic space. And, and, and they go, what, what the hell happened there? Where, what, what, where's the popcorn? Well, there is no popcorn, but when they move through there, there is a spray of superoxide, which is designed by the plant to strip off the cell wall of the bacteria, or bacterium. Let's put it that way. The cell wall gets stripped off. Uh, the bacteria goes, whoa, wait a minute, I don't like that at all. And two or three things happen. The first is the bacteria says, geez, I got to weaken this stuff or I'm dead. And so they produce nitrite. The nitrite is converted to nitrate, and both the cell wall and the nitrate are then uh, continue through the membrane into the cytoplasm where they, they're, they're, they're nutrients. Mm -hmm. Up to 30% of the nutrients come from this nitrogen fixation inside the root. Now, 
Okay, you could stop right there and it would be, you know, eyeball dropping, but it continues. Now you've got a bacteria in there that doesn't have a cell wall, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still alive. It's called, it's, I think they call them, I couldn't remember, L-plus. It doesn't have a cell wall and they divide every 20 minutes. It divides. Mm-hmm. And, and lo and behold, it divides every, probably even quicker than 20 minutes because you don't have a cell wall in the way anymore. And at the same time, it's, it's producing this nitrate to, to be an antioxidant to the superoxide, which incidentally, the superoxide production, the plant goes, Oh, geez, I gotta, I gotta make sure it's not killing me. It's gonna, it's gonna destroy my cell wall. So it causes the plant itself to strengthen its own cell wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, heady stuff. Uh, and, and it continues on through the life of the plant, incidentally. Then, the, the, the circulation takes over and these, these little L plasma, they circulate around the inside of the meristem cell. Now, you're probably saying, what does this look like? Picture a tofu container. You know, that common white plastic tofu container mm-hmm. with the water, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then it's got the tofu in the inside. So the outside, that white container, that's the cell wall. They then move into that watery area. That's the periplasmic space. And lo and behold, it cycles and it goes around. Now, another thing is happening. The, the bacteria are producing one of their phytohormones because, because a lot of bacteria make phytohormones. This one, ethylene. Ethylene causes the meristem cell to, to grow, to stretch. So you've got the nitrite, you've got the ethylene, uh, you've got the c- cell wallless L form circulating, multiplying, and they end up forming quads. They form these quads, sometimes six mm-hmm. months, but mostly quads, and they circulate around, producing this ethylene, taking a little bit of carbon from the cell wall. Uh, and, and it's everything's happy, uh, until they get too many and they begin to back up against the cell wall. And when they back up against the cell wall, the ethylene stops circulating and instead causes a tube to grow in the meristem cell wall. And bingo, the tube is known to me and you as a root hair. Ta-da. That meristem cell, it's part of that cell. You know, it's right. not a separate cell and it's, and, and, and it's, and it's very thin walled, which is probably why it allows nutrients in there. But the real reason why it forms is because of this ethylene bacterial backup. And in go the bacteria, a little tidal wave creates a, a, a pressure and boom, they pop out of the tip of the, of the, of the growing hair. And boom, it, it closes up and more of them come in and it grows and boom, they grow out. It can go four or five times. It can open up and drop out or throw out or eject the wallless quads, uh, of bacteria and they in the soil use the nutrients there to regrow the cell walls mm-hmm. and Lo and behold, they multiply and they say, that was fun. I'll do it again. Right. And they go back in and they do the same thing again. Unbelievable. So when you don't have the bacteria, you don't have the root hairs. Mm -hmm. Who knew? 
not me. <laughs> and there was you, but you cited, um, I don't know if there were experiments or, or cases where people did grow, uh, plants without the bacteria and the plants, lo and behold, had no root hairs. Right. They had no root hairs and their roots themselves were all deformed and grew in the wrong way. Yeah, that so, was pretty amazing. Grew in the wrong yeah. way. And then what was even more amazing when you put the bacteria in, they they grew back the right way. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding from the book was that that directional growth had to do with metals that were brought into the root front by the bacteria that uh, helped the plant orient to gravity. And without the bacteria bringing those metals in, there wasn't that ability. I don't know if I put that in the book, but it makes sense to me. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. It might be. You know, I wrote, I wrote the There's book. a lot of information in that book, yes. I know. And I read. I just read it. Uh, it came out uh, uh, October 27th, I guess. No, uh, September 27th. A month and ago, I, yes. I had to pick it up and read it. I mean, I literally, it's – and if we can interrupt just for a second – we're talking bacteria, and people really need to understand bacteria. Mm-hmm. So, so let me do this. There, are, Google, Google bacteria, a head of needle, a head of pin, and you'll see oh, pictures yeah. in the images of. The, uh, they were too expensive for me to to buy and put them <laughs> in the book, but but there they are. And and so we're, we're don't think of one car in in a driveway. That you know that that that's don't think of that as a bacterium. Think of the Hartsfield or the uh, airport in Atlanta. You know that that's bacteria. Uh, you know they're everywhere. Uh, the, the five second rule. <laughs> Last week, and if you can find this on Google, it's well worth getting. Uh, uh, Google uh, bacteria tongue cell. Oh boy, do I want to? A sing- you you want to a single tongue cell These, from someone's mouth? The pictures I'm looking at look like hostess Twinkies. A rod shaped bacteria. Gazillion bacteria on this one cell thing. I mean, they're just they're unbelievable. And of course, in America and every place else, we study dinosaurs. Yeah, because because they're useless. You know, instead of studying bacteria and microbes, uh, which which are so important. Uh, So one of the problems in the book was I had to you got to list them. Which ones do what? Uh, They're not they're not language that we're familiar with. It's just like plant names, uh, and, and people are not really familiar with them. They're much more familiar with plant names, mm-hmm. and we need mm-hmm. to change that system. Stop mm-hmm. studying dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. They're useless. The oil and gas they produce is useless. We need to study bacteria, fungi, nematodes, protozoa, all that stuff. And we're, we're at the point now where the databases exist. Our phones will have applications where we can learn a lot of this stuff. But I, I, I digress. Look up bacteria. Think about the numbers, the sizes. They're so incredibly small. They have flagellum because they're so small that if they were, if they tried to row in water, they couldn't get anywhere. Uh, the, the, the shapes that they create are because of the water. I mean, the, the movement situation. It's the, they are absolutely spectacularly fascinating organisms. But the fact that they enter a plant and, and create root hairs and repeat doing it changes the soil food web in a serious way. So, yeah. the 2006 version, plants were farmers. 
the tooth they they threw out the the, the nutrients and uh, you know the 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 exudates and they ended up farming what they got and then they brought that stuff inside now we know that they're also they are also ranchers they're taking in the sheep shearing off the wool eating the occasional pork chop and then putting the rest out into pasture again so they can regrow the wool <laughs> and come back in and, and have the process repeated. So they're farmers and they're ranchers. Mm-hmm. It's really a, a very big change. Uh, again, not to take away in any way whatsoever from Dr. Elaine Ingham, uh, but Dr. James White really and his students really have come up with a unbelievable, fascinating uh, uh, situation. I mean, it's just who who would have thought? And it's only because uh, the new kinds of microscopes and and the ability to be able to uh, dye test yeah. what kind of bacteria you have. Yeah, the technology picture. advances. Your books. We've we've said the title teeming, but talk about how you spelled that word. Right. So I spell the word T E A M. You want to team with microbes. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you want to do that is because you want them to do the work mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of you. Uh, gardeners like to think that we're in control. Uh, we we are, are the boss. And we mm-hmm. do this and do that. And we, we only mess things up, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so if you team up with the microbes and listen to them, you will end up with a wonderful yard, not just your garden. You'll be, a, and indoor plants too, for that matter. The system that works outdoors also works indoors. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions, such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. Let me interrupt here just to remind you, you're listening to the Garden Basics podcast, the episode entitled Geeking with the Horde Experts. Uh, <laughs> Debbie Flowers here. <laughs> Jeff Lowenfels, the author of Teeming with Bacteria, is here. The Organic Gardener's Guide to Endophytic Bacteria and the Rhizophagy Cycle, or something like that. Explain, Jeff, what endophytic bacteria means. Right. Actually, I say endophytic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> not, sorry, Fred. You were right. I'm, you know, just a different, little different. That's all. Uh, endophytic bacteria are bacteria that live in, and there are incidentally endophytic fungi that live at least part of their life inside a plant. 
and they don't do harm to the plant. So we've just described one kind, the rhizophagy bacteria. Those are endophytic bacteria. They spend part of their life inside, and then they get they get uh, the rest of their life in the soil. There are other bacteria that get into the plant slightly in slightly di- a different way. They they sneak in through cracks uh, mm-hmm. as as roots begin to branch. They come in through stomata. Uh, they come in through injury, although not quite as often because uh, who wants injured plants? And they get into the plant and they live inside the plant. First of all, why would a bacteria want to live inside a plant? And the answer to that basically is there's less competition in there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's buttered popcorn in there, too. Well, there there certainly is down in the root system. I'm not quite sure there is up into the in in the upper halves of the, of the plant. Incidentally, if you have too much of that butyric acid, it begins to smell like this your stomach vomit. Ah. I know this because when I was in tenth grade, uh, we had a biology teacher who decided he was going to show us osmosis. Uh, was it osmosis? Which is the one that's in the anyway? He went over and uh, to by the window and he poured a tablespoon of butyric acid, uh, but he slipped <gasps> and it went into the vent system Uh-oh. and they had to close down the entire school <laughs> for two days. Anyway, very strong smelling stuff. A plant only needs to produce a teeny little bit of it. So they have they have food sources inside. You know, there's sugar inside plants and mm-hmm. some pretty good stuff in there. And, and, and basically there's no competition and it's, it's just a nice situation for them. Why would the plant let them in there? That's, that's more important question. Plants understand that bacteria are usually bad, but there seems to be this dance where they get sprayed and ROS, et cetera, et cetera. They, they create a, a situation inside the plant that strengthens the plant. So plants are able to take abiotic stress like heat, cold, wind, and biotic stress, you know, like a, a pathogen to, to coming in and trying to do the other bacteria say, no, get out of here. This is our area. And they take out the other the pathogen. The plant gets helped by it and, and must recognize this. It's almost um, like an exercise. Build. Yeah. And it, and it becomes important in many different ways in addition to just to the plant itself. So, for example, with, with regard to... Uh, uh, tomatoes and cannabis, which have hairs, any plant mm-hmm. that has hairs. Mm-hmm. Th- this was something that, that in the book was speculated on because the research hadn't been done yet. You know, root hairs look an awful lot like the, the trichomes on cannabis. Uh, is there a connection there? And there were certainly bacteria inside there, but, but now, uh, it's pretty well understood that there are bacteria inside the trichomes, both on tomatoes and in any trichome. These uh, bacteria get sprayed by super, with superoxide and other things by cells in the in the, the plant cells. And in the case of cannabis, they get sprayed by cannabinoids, mm-hmm. and so so they help production of cannabinoids. Whoa! Uh, so potentially, you know, we, we could influence what, in the case of marijuana, what cannabinoids are in the crop by choosing, selecting the bacteria that are in the plant? Exactly. And in fact, that's already happening. Incidentally, I, I, I try not to use the word marijuana because it's it's the word that was used by the, 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 the DEA guy, uh, uh, Harry Anslinger, who was trying to make it like it was a bad thing and the Mexicans did it. Yeah, so I try. I use cannabis wherever I possibly can. You could say hemp if you wanted to. 
Well, not really. Uh, well, it's TAC hemp. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's him. Yeah, it is him. But we yeah, could yeah. do that with with tea or uh, camellia tends not to have trichomes, however. But it definitely has bacteria. I can guarantee right. you that. We could influence and, 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 the flavor and, and, of tea by choosing the, the bacteria that are in the plant. Pretty fascinating yes. stuff. Yeah. Well, well, again, I mean, it's so fascinating that, that in fact, if you went back to, and took a land-raced – well, they did it with corn. If you have 400-year-old corn and, 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 and kept not breeding it, and there are strains you, we can go back, it has the same bacteria 400 years later than it did 400 years ago. So if we were yeah. to change the bacteria that we allow the, uh, these plants to have or not have, we could end up right. killing the plant. Precisely. And we can end up feeding the plant at the same time because you get nitrogen fixation. And so when you buy a, a Landry strain of cannabis, it's because of the bacteria in that cannabis seed. What happens is the end result of all of the endophytic activity is that these endophytes end up in the seed. They get into the flower zone. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. we hark back on the pictures. Thousands, a gazillion of bacteria. They end up inside that seed. They get inside that seed coat and just inside. And bingo, they're carried on to the next generation. So mm-hmm. if you're a gardener or a farmer and you're using coated seeds, you may be killing those guys. You may be replacing them with a fertilizer instead of letting them get into the soil where they're needed to do the rhizophagy cycle. Or, uh, you know, if you sterilize, that's a bad thing. You know, and a lot of a lot of cannabis growers do that. Uh, a lot of tomato growers like to sterilize their soil and sterilize their seed. You know, craziness. Uh, Got to let nature do its thing. And now that we know about these, what these bacteria Bacteria do. Bacterium is single. It's just, it's just all the more reason to be organic. You point out uh, in your book the fact that in the 1800s, there were farmers who were moving soil that they had grown legumes in into new patches of soil and found that the legumes they grow grew even better. Right. Right. And so, so a lot of people discovered a long time ago, and, uh, you know, it's sort of Dr. Elaine's thing uh, if you find a plant that's doing incredibly well, you find that orange grove where all the plants are, are ganga, you get some of that soil up near the rhizosphere and use it on your plants. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's, that's the way you do it. And, and if someday we'll have a gigantic database and, and sort of, we sort of, is it the fungal bacteria ratio, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's certainly, uh, it has something to do with the rise of the So does that throw the, the crop rotation idea out the window that we should rotate our crops to prevent buildup of disease? Yeah, you know, again, I think there's, there is this intersection between disease and practice. And if you're a farmer, you know, the only thing you're thinking about is your end result is right. the money you're going to make. If you're fully organic, you generally don't get these diseases. Right, right. But how do you get to be fully organic right. uh, without getting them? And that's that's the big thing. So I, I certainly advise uh, people who grow tomatoes, people who grow cannabis, uh, people who do container gardening, to gen- unless they know they have a root problem, uh, to use the same soil. And not to rototill it. Mm-hmm. Just just put a put the seed in and let the seed grow. It'll it'll use a lot of the exudates that are still in the soil. It'll grow down through the areas and the hairs and the not hairs because now we know what hairs are from, but it'll go through the roots themselves and and use a lot of that organic matter, et cetera. That all the right bacteria are in there, all the right fungi are in there. It's just it's just a beautiful system. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just the bacteria. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. 
There are some endophytic fungi as well that, that go through the rhizophagy cycle. They're, uh, I understand, yeast. Uh, it's just not it's not the same thing as with all these bacteria. It's really an unbelievable discovery. It's yeah, it is. 30 percent of the nitrogen. And, and, and it's just one that needs to be be told. I remember uh, going to a garden writers conference in two in 1990. I don't know, 1998 or 99 mm. it was in Seattle area. And I was with Dr. Elaine Ingham and I introduced her. And of course, we had had fights at the garden writers over the years <laughs> between organic and chemical. Uh-huh. To the point where literally there was one, one meeting in New York where I, th- I thought that's the end of this organization. <laughs> we, we had such an incredible fight uh, wow. between organic and and, uh, and she got up and and I asked the crowd before she got up. I said, "How many people here know what a mycorrhizal fungi is?" And we were talking seven hundred and fifty people there, New York Times on down. Not one person raised their hand. Nobody. You ask today a garden writer what a mycorrhizal fungi is. They know what a mycorrhizal fungi is. Mm -hmm. And they know what the soil woodweb is. And they don't Mm -hmm. write about using chemicals Mm -hmm. unless they've been paid, it seems to me, uh, by uh, somebody to do it. Mm -hmm. You point out, too. Uh, in your book, going back to seeds, the fact that people tend to store their seeds a little too dry, that there should be some moisture associated with right. that. Right. Well, a lot of people take all the oxygen out of the uh, out of the out of the container uh, and, and keep it quite dry. It's really the oxygen you got to make sure it has uh, because there's living bacteria in there, and, they, and those seeds actually breathe. Mm-hmm. It's kind of standard practice, you know, to put them in a little film canister and freeze them up and get rid of all the air and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's crazy. I like your recommendation about spraying your lawn with compost tea made from compost that was heavy on grasses taken from the lawn when you want to uh, garden with endophytes. Well, yeah, it's not. It's just not not just the compost tea because a lot of people will will point out that there is a dearth of studies that compost tea is really great. But but if you use compost itself, it's just made from the same material. It just makes sense. Which is better, compost or worm castings? You know, there again is a very interesting uh, dico- uh, situation because on some plants, worm castings are better. And and for some plants, uh, vermicom—I mean, a thermal compost is better. They have a different bacterial base. Each mm-hmm. one is different, and and I didn't know that. I mean, I knew I sort of intuitively you know one's thermal and one's one goes through the body of the worm. But it's very interesting that, that there's research and 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 if you're growing strawberries, it may be that one's better than the other. And it's worth doing the experimentation to find out. Yeah, but, Particularly if you're a commercial grower, but but if you're trying to if you're trying to grow that pumpkin for the fair, my God, mm-hmm. it makes sense to discover which is which, what's best, and and we're getting to the point where there'll be data again published, not databases, but published lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got a couple, and I've got several listed in the book. There've been a lot of, a lot of research done again because it's because of the use of the words. The two bacterial numbers, you know, or whatever the hell they are, it's hard to get the general public's attention about this stuff. If we could say, you know, the rosy bacteria or the, the you know, the pink bacteria, you know, then people remember, but it doesn't work that way. Right. Unfortunately. With the names they have. There's a bunch of books designated as the Science for Gardener series, and you're involved in that, yes? I don't, I don't know. Am I? Oh, well, um, where did I read about it? Uh, I read that it was six books, three of yours, 
teeming with mm. nutrients, teeming with fungi, teeming with microbes. Uh, how soon, plants soon to be soon to be teeming with bacteria? I would hope. Well, I I wrote bacteria question mark in my notes because I didn't see that that was uh, included. Um, just came out. It just came out two weeks ago. Oh yeah, so it it, it needs some time to <laughs> yeah. to step up. So are you saying he should get a lawyer? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> he but might I, know one. <laughs> but I need shows like this to spread the word, and not because of, not because of me or my writing. But because of Dr. White and his students, I didn't invent any of this stuff, just as I didn't invent, you know, teaming with microbes either. I mean, it, it, these scientists deserve Nobel Prizes. This is this is key stuff. And, and, and the reason is because we're going to see a day. We've already we already see it with certain products and we should talk about them. But we're going to see a day when you're going to be able to go to your nursery or go to your farm supply store. You already can at farm supply stores and buy specific bacteria that work and feed your plants. This is where nitrogen is going to be coming from, not from urea and things that are causing climate problems. They're going to be coming from bacteria that go into the plant and feed the plant and give the plant what it wants. We hear a lot about mycorrhizal critters uh, living in, in bags and boxes that you can buy at the nursery. Can those survive standing or sitting in a parking lot on hot asphalt? Yeah, you know, I think mycorrhizal fungi are, are, are can. Uh, I mean, obviously, they, they, they exist in... Sacramento uh, in the middle of the summer, summer where it's 108 degrees, and so I don't, I don't think you got a problem there. But they have a shelf life. It's 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 certainly no longer than two years, that's for sure. They tend to be ubiquitous after a while. I mean, in other words, if you're using them year in and year out, they're there in your soil. So you would use them like we do in, in Anchorage. We do a lot of transplant stuff. So we want our we want to set up a mycorrhizal situation as early as we can. We roll our seeds in it. But yeah, you got to you got to make sure you're getting a good product, not one that's four years old, et cetera, et cetera. Do you the think bacteria. they're able to go into their resting stage, spore spore stage for fungus? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. For, for fungi, yeah, 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 yeah. My conversations with Doctor Mike Amarinthus indicate that that you know you, they're there. It's fascinating stuff too. It's really, but the bacteria are, are different because uh, not every bacteria forms. Uh, turns into an endospore, which is basically the form you want to have right. to be able to have a good shelf life. So they're not, uh, so they're a little more, uh, fragile. Well, there's, there's one that you have to, it's got to be fr uh, freeze dry and you've got to get facilities that are able to handle that. And, but there's some bacillus that work very well and you can, you can get and cannabis growers are beginning to use it. And, uh, as, as a, as a sporium, uh, is another one. There, there are a few that, that are readily available and you can use and, and need to experiment with depending on what your crop is. It's the future that people are looking at. And if, and if you follow, uh, the, what we would, excuse me for being this way, but what I would consider to be you know some of the evil companies. Um, <laughs> they're they're beginning to merge. To my thoughts, uh, they're producing and studying and researching bacteria uh, to replace. I think a lot of the chemicals that they that they currently sell. And the future definitely is going to be a situation where your wheat field is going to be fed by bacteria mostly and not by urea. It's coming. That's it's wonderful. Right. That's what we need. And yeah, we have to have it. I mean, we're, we've yes. only got six, 60 some odd years left of soil. 
seasons left of, of, of soil. It's blowing away. All of these agro practices destroy soil structure. And by the way, soil structure starts with bacteria. Mm-hmm. Bacteria produce that slime. That slime sticks together particles of soil. Those particles of soil become bigger aggregates as they mm-hmm. stick to each other. And you get the fungi that weave them all, all, all even into bigger aggregates. And once you destroy that, either by rototilling or using a, a chemical, uh, you, you, we end up with bad, bad problems. And it's not fair for big agro uh, to ruin our world because that's what's happening. I love your definition of heirloom tomatoes. You call it a, a strain of plant adapted to its locale. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and that strain is probably because of the bacteria that you've you've added to the system. Yeah, and so people trying to grow brandy wine, heirloom tomatoes in California, you don't have Pennsylvania soil. It's not going to work. Right. Well, it'll be all right. It? It yeah, no, it's, it's not, not all it right. It isn't brand new. <laughs> you got a it's tomato. Not like brand new. Well, when you're in Alaska, any 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 tomato, any tomato you, you get is a is a prize. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're right though. Brandy wine is is one of those ones we always, you know, someone when you start growing tomatoes, you try it the first couple of years. You know, you may get one good one, but they're not they're not like your heirlooms. There's, there's a reason heirlooms were developed. Mm-hmm. All gardening is local, and we found out that all bacteria is local too. Coming well, to a- again, not all of it because you're transporting it around in those seeds. So when I buy yeah. when I buy territorial seeds and they ship them up to Alaska, I'm getting the bacteria that's on that cosmos. It's going to make that cosmos grow well. So that and that's the beauty of, of of being an organic grower or gardener. Your bacteria are being shipped right along with those seeds. You don't but have to roll anything in anything. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't frighten you that we're moving bacteria cross country into foreign countries. That that has me a little agitated. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think it's it's happening anyway. If not by traveler, it's happening by wind. I mean, these guys are ubiquitous. They're mm-hmm. Unbelievable. By the way, kudos to your editors at the book because they do a fabulous job of making it very accessible to the common gardener. It's a yeah. great book. I really enjoyed it. Well, I tell you what, I mean, there's a there's one particular editor at Timber who's who's just. She's a great editor, and she's really, really fun to work with, and 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 that's what you got to have. Writing a book is not is not uh, you know it's just not pleasant. You got to go down into a rabbit hole and spend some time down there, and and you, when your wife says come up for dinner, and you're not ready to come up for dinner, you don't come up for dinner, mm-hmm. uh, and she gets mad at you, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and you've got everything laid out where it needs to be, and and I don't care if the kid has a hockey game. I'm kind of like. You know, it's 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 a it's a real labor, uh, and you don't make a lot of money on it. But in this particular instance, it's so important that people understand that the soil food web is what makes life for us, mm-hmm. and this is a part of the soil food web that needs to be part of it. In fact, I'm telling people now: start with teaming with microbes, then go to teaming with bacteria. Then go with teaming with fungi, and then go to teaming with nutrients. Teaming with oh. nutrients, teaming with nutrients was written because I was sitting at a restaurant. I think it's called Beppi's to something or other. It's an Italian restaurant <laughs> chain restaurant, and and there was a picture of five ladies eating bowls of spaghetti in front of me, and I and I kept saying to myself, "How do plants get there? What happened? How do they get the food inside them? How does how does a plant <laughs> eat?" 
And I couldn't figure it out, and so I had to write a book about it. I mean, my God, I, I got to keep my eyes closed now. So it, it, <laughs> it's your literary poop loop, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was one of the things. And I've told 100 people so far, I'm not writing another one. Yeah, we'll uh, see if that lasts. Yes. You know, somebody then said to me, well, what if they discover viruses? Or, well, mm-hmm. viruses are in soil, and they are important, and they definitely do stuff. And, and I, and I, you know, I mean, I had to cut off the bacteria at the, at the phase stage. I just couldn't get into it. I mean, it was just one of those things, but it got me through COVID. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. All right. Teeming with Bacteria. Jeff Lowenfels is the author from Timber Press. Check his books out. You can find a link to it in today's show notes uh, here on the Garden Basics. Debbie Flower had fun today. I really did. Yeah, I've read I've read Teeming with uh, Microbes and Teeming with Bacteria, and I've got the other two, and I'm going to read them, Fungi and then Teeming with Nutrients. There you go. Yeah, I mean, they were there, you know, I, I learned so much from them. I mean, the point, the point of these books is that, you know, I'm not that smart. I had to dumb it down so I could understand it. The amount of research you must have done, it boggles my mind. I do a lot of research, and, and but I do it anyway. I mean, people people should learn that Google is or DuckDuckGo or whatever we want to use is your best gardening tool. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, uh, you put in Lowenfels once a week. My garden column is going to show up at your front door. You put in Rasafagi. And whenever there's something new about Razafagy, you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and but you have would, to know it, that that what you're getting is from a reliable source. Well, that's right. You've got to, you've got to have some smarts, and you've got to learn. And, and it's something we're going to teach our kids, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But generally, with obscure kinds of science like this, it hopefully will not become <laughs> yes. obscure for a long time. I'm a Razafagy punk. Yeah. Yeah. And by well, the I, way, thank you to the audience for, for, for sticking with us. If you made it through all of this, God bless you. See, you can hardly shut me up. <laughs> well, and you do one other thing. I'm sure you do lots of other things that are wonderful, but plant a row for the hungry. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, again, that, you know, and I'm not proud of the fact wh- why it started, but I really, I stiffed a guy at the coldest, literally the coldest day Washington, D.C. has ever had. And I was staying at the Willard Hotel on an expense account. And I'd been there so many times that when I stood there next to Henry Kissinger, they came up and took my bags, not his. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, it was one of those things. I mean, there wouldn't be a, a there wouldn't be two candies on your pillow. There would be a box of Ooh. candies, you know, and a bottle of wine and fruit. And I had my hand around money, and they had these signs that say, "Don't give money to homeless people. We take care of them. Do not give them money." And so I said no, and I went into a restaurant, and I had an expense account meal. Oh my god. I did not sleep well that night. I did not sleep well when I went home. I was in first class, I, on a, and I was having a steak and zucchini meal, and I thought, oh, my God, you terrible person. And I thought about the zucchini and the joke about in Sacramento, you never leave your car on the street with zucchini in it. 
<laughs> Never. You, you'll, you know, if your car is unlocked, no, I guess if your car is unlocked in, in Sacramento at night, you wake up the next morning, somebody's filled it up with his. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what it is. So but so anyway, I, I wrote a column because I had to write a column that, that night as well. And I asked my readers to, to help my conscience and let's all donate one row in our gardens to a place called Beans Cafe, which is our food kitchen in, in Anchorage. Mm-hmm. And, and then the garden writers came up and adopted it as a national program and it's still going on and it's still important. And it's, it's spread. so important and it's so easy to do. And, and since you're the one growing the food, you're the one responsible for getting it to somebody that needs it. Nothing slips from the lip to the cup in administrative costs or any of that kind of garbage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wonderful program that can be adapted in so many ways. There's no ownership to it. It's just, you know, go for it. Feed people. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. The old Garden Writers is now called Garden Communicators, Garden.com. And there's a page now. And in fact, the directory is there. So if you want to go talk to any of the people and uh, they have a, they have a Planner Row deal uh, there, it tells you how to become a Planner Row person uh, and some ideas of things that you can be doing. So... It's well worth doing. It's so easy. And with this Ukrainian problem and mm-hmm. fertilizer problems and just generally we have problems anyway with our with our hungry 35 million people at night. Plant yeah. a row for the hungry. You can find it on the Internet. Yes. There you go. There. Jeff Lowenfels, thank you for spending a lot of time with us uh, talking about teaming with bacteria. You're welcome, and thank you very much for doing that. And I hope Dr. James White becomes a little bit more famous, and and Dr. Elaine Ingham does as well, uh, because the soil food web is all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a basis for life. You've heard about foliar feeding of plants, right? You mix a water-soluble fertilizer with some water, sprinkle it over the leaves on your plants, and voila, your plants are fed. Well, not really. You will have washed off the dirt from the leaves, but that may be about it. Unless you're attempting to fertilize for a very specific problem, and you're sprinkling that concoction on the right part of your plants. It's the truth about foliar feeding, and it's in the latest Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter coming out November 4th. For current newsletter subscribers, look for the truth about foliar feeding in the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter in your email now. Or start a subscription to the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's easy. Find a link in today's show notes or sign up at the link at our homepage, gardenbasics.net. Thank you. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast comes out once a week on Fridays. Plus, the newsletter podcast that comes with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter continues, and that will also be released on Fridays. Both are free, and they're brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. The Garden Basics podcast is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes our homepage, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can also sign up for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast. That's Garden Basics. Basics.net, or you can use the links in today's show notes. And thank you so much for listening.